sleep like a champ in the car seat, but try to pick him up and lay him in the crib, and that's a no-go. Not happening. And so what my wife and I would have to do is figure out a way to keep him awake so that we could put him in the crib and then we could take a nap. And so we tried all kinds of stuff. We, we tried tickling. That didn't work. We tried playing loud music. That didn't work. We tried singing together. That didn't work. We tried, hey, look outside at the sky. That didn't work. So my wife came up with a really brilliant idea. We stumbled on a solution. Um, she brought a water bottle. <laughs> And so when he began to nod off, <laughs> and so you could see his little head doing that. She turned around and go, Psh, right in his little face. I mean, it wasn't hard or, you know, anyway, anyway, it was, it woke him up. He'd be nodding off like that and go, ah. And so he would make it home awake with his face a little bit wet. Um, it was because the spray of water in his face kept him awake. Mark 13 is like that for us, kind of like a spray of water in our face. We need to stay awake. That's the message that Jesus is going to deliver. There's a lot going on in Mark 13, a lot. And you can get lost in times and dates and signs and all kinds of stuff, but the overarching message that we need to hear is one directly from Jesus. He's saying, stay awake, follow me. Stay awake, follow me. William Lane, one of the scholars, the great scholars of Mark, says, In the Gospel of Mark, there is no passage more problematic than the prophetic discourse of Jesus on the destruction of the temple. The questions posed by the form and content of the chapter and by its relationship to the Gospel as a whole are complex and difficult and have been the occasion of an extensive Literature, and that's exactly right. I have seen a lot of that literature. But stepping back, it can be tempting to think, okay, when is, when is he talking about this? What's happening here? And in step, stepping back to get a sense of what Jesus is trying to do, he's telling his 12 disciples, listen, guys, you need to stay awake. You need to pay attention. You need to be on guard because the temptation that you will face is to fall asleep and become spiritually lethargic. Jesus is not predicting, he's preparing. He's telling his disciples and all of us how to live in the last days. The last days, biblically speaking, are the whole time between Jesus' departure after his ascension and his return. Biblically speaking, those are the last days. Jesus is telling us the same message he told the original 12. Think of this water as a stream, uh, this passage as a stream of face, a stream of water in our drowsy faces. If I were to summarize that it's stay awake, follow Jesus. We all know what it's like to become lethargic. We all know what it's like to begin to nod off spiritually. That fire that to please the Lord that once burned so bright begins to dim and then barely simmers and we start to fall asleep. Jesus says stay awake. There are times when our drowsiness tricks us into thinking that fighting sin is legalism. And we start to slumber and fall asleep. And Jesus says, stay awake. There are times that our spent minds think there is no real need or pressing need to pray. And Jesus says, stay awake. There are times when the zeal to share the good news of Jesus Christ 
is overcome by a slumbering indifference as we start to nod off. And Jesus says, stay awake. We all know that there are times when the simple, clean passion just to know God is replaced with a fuzzy sluggishness just to try to get through the day. And we start to nod off. And Jesus says, stay awake. Stay awake. May God's word from Mark 13 hit us in the face like water and bring us to our senses so that we might stay awake. There's three movements that I've captured here, and we'll look at those in just a moment. But to understand the setting, I want to read beginning in verse 1. Now, we're not going to read all the way through chapter 13. We will as the sermon unfolds. And so first we need to get the setting. The whole chapter is introduced by the following interaction between Jesus and his disciples. Remember, Jesus was in the temple all day teaching and confronting Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, and everyone who would come, and then began to teach. He sees the, the woman and her two lepta, and then he, they, they leave. And look at verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is predicting the destruction of the temple. That nameless disciple was not wrong. These stones were massive and they were impressive. An eyewitness to this temple named Josephus said this, The exterior of the building, that's the temple, wanted nothing that could astound either mind or eye. For being covered on all sides with massive plates of gold, the sun was no sooner up that it radiated so fiery a flash that a person straining to look at it were compelled to avert their eyes as from solar rays. To approaching strangers, it appeared from a distance like a snow-clad mountain. For all that was not overlaid with gold was purest white. It was marble of pure white. No imperfections. No marbly gray imperfections. All pure white. From its summit protruded gold spikes to prevent birds from settling upon and polluting the roof. Some of the stones in the building were 45 cubits in length and 5 in height and 6 in breadth. Or as big as railroad cars. Those stones, they moved these stones, which would have weighed over one million pounds, and levered them into place so that this building might stand what they thought was forever. And Jesus says, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now you can imagine the shock that the disciples would have heard and would have felt at the hearing of this prophecy. Shocking. The Jewish spiritual industrial complex would be completely dismantled. Now, it's not shocking to us because we don't live in Jerusalem and we've never been to the temple. But imagine, imagine if we were with Jesus in the mall at Washington, D.C., and we said, look at the Capitol Dome. Look at the Washington Monument. Look over there at the Jefferson Memorial. Aren't those wonderful and what if Jesus said, all these things, all these things will be on fire and there will be all pulled down? 
we would recognize that it wouldn't just be the destruction of Washington, D.C. and these monuments, but it would be something more. It would be, in some ways, probably the destruction of the United States of America. And so when Jesus prophesied here that the temple would be destroyed, shockwaves went through the twelve. Shockwaves. He got the disciples' attention. They were awake now. And so they made their way across the Kidron Valley and sat on the Mount of Olives, which is just on the other side. You can, you can go there today, sit on the Mount of Olives, look across the valley. Today you see the, the um, Dome on the Rock, but in that day you would have seen the temple. Then we see the disciples saunter up to him and ask a question. Look at verse 3. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when these things, when w- tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Now Jesus is going to answer them, and it's going to be way more than they bargained for. And it gets confusing because sometimes he's talking about the temple, sometimes he's talking about the last days, and he goes back and forth and back and forth. There's a lot of debate on what's called the Olivet Discourse. This is where we are. But one thing we can know for sure. What Jesus describes here is what the last days will be like. He's preparing them and us for the last days. And he's telling us what to watch out for so that we don't fall asleep. He's going to give us three warnings, three opportunities to stay awake. We followers of Jesus must stay awake in the midst of all kinds of challenges. We must stay awake first and endure amidst upheaval. Listen to the upheaval that's described in Mark chapter 13, verses 5 through 13. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say what is say. Whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Do you see the picture? Do you see the upheaval that we're called to endure. The last days will be marked by upheaval of all sorts. There will be national disasters as kingdom wars against kingdom, as nations go to war again and again and again. There will also be national or natural disasters as the earth shudders and shakes and food goes scarce. And Christians will be under attack from all quarters. And not too many months after this, when Jesus speaks, these disciples will be pulled in front of the synagogue and beaten for Christ's sake. 
You can read about that in the book of Acts. This all happened in the book of Acts. These timid, tone-deaf 12 disciples turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yet that lay in the future. Here Jesus is. He's preparing his disciples to know what to expect. He wants them to stay awake. Now, Matt, think about this. Put yourself in that position. Here Jesus is living the very last week of his life. In fact, he has 48 hours yet to live here. (coughs) A little less than that, sitting on the Mount of Olives. He's sitting there with his disciples, and he's got the biggest day of his life coming up. He's got the biggest day in anybody's life coming up. He's got the universe, the biggest day in the universe coming up. And who is he thinking about? Not himself. He's thinking about them. He's thinking about them. He wants them to be prepared. You know what it's like when you have something big that's happening? Maybe an appointment. Maybe you have a test. Maybe you have a presentation and somebody tries to talk to you and you just don't have time because you're focused on something else. That's what I'm like. Jesus is not like that. By all rights, Jesus should have been focused on what was going to happen when God rejected him as he hung on the cross. But here he is thinking of others. He wants to make sure that the disciples understand that life after the resurrection would not be easy. And it wasn't easy for him. Most, nearly all, died a martyr's death. And it's not easy for followers after after these 12 either. Jesus wanted to prepare those followers and us as followers for what life would be like. And he doesn't want us to be surprised on this side of the resurrection. You see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, here's what you need to know. You will suffer at the hands of a broken world amidst broken people. The suffering is going to be intensely personal. It's not just a world that you live in of political intrigue, ongoing war, and natural disasters that you must endure. You must also endure personal suffering. How hard is it going to be? Well, following Jesus might put a wedge between you and your closest relations. You might be rejected. You might be banned. You might be exiled from your family. You might even be turned over to be executed. Verse 12, here's what he says. Be ready because this is what's going to happen. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And father his child. And children will rise against against parents and have them put to death because of Jesus. And only because of Jesus. Now, unlike many places in the world, this doesn't happen here. We can't turn people over to the authorities because they follow Jesus. And so we're not in that kind of place right now. But yet, even as we follow Jesus, we should expect family upheaval. There's a devotion we followers of Jesus ought to have that outstrips and eclipses love and commitment to family. Jesus, Jesus is the most important person in our life. Our devotion to family, as important as that is, must not approach our devotion to Jesus. And there will be times when family members just don't understand that. They don't get it. They won't get it. Jesus puts wedges between family often. And here's a promise that verse 13 that I can guarantee is not over anybody's hearth at home. Verse 13, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And I don't think that's ever been the Caleb verse of the day. Could be wrong, but that's not what we like to meditate on. But here's a promise from Jesus. You will be hated by some merely 
because you follow me. That's sobering. That's sobering. We will be hated. Some people will call us narrow-minded because we believe that there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Some people will call us bigots because we believe that the Bible, what the Bible says is true. Some people will say we're unkind and harsh simply because we follow Jesus. That's enough to be hated. And we will be hated. If you're confused why people don't like you, it could be because you follow Jesus. Now, may we be hated because we follow Jesus, not because we're jerks. It's pretty easy. Not just if you're if you're contentious as a person, maybe you're hated because you're contentious. That's not why we want to be hated. If we're going to be hated, may we not be hated for our politics or our tongue, or our opinions, or our attitude, or our pride, or our point of view, but may we be hated because we follow Jesus. Nothing else is worth it. Now, how are we to respond? We must not go to sleep. It's tempting to just fall asleep and say, you know what, it's so much easier just to go with the flow and nod off. And, and you know, maybe it is, maybe I am being too narrow. Maybe Jesus isn't worth it. Maybe I should give in. And we start to slumber and nod off. But look what Jesus says. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endure. In other words, don't give up. Keep following. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep believing that his exceptional love is more important than the glowering hate of other people no matter who they are. He doesn't ask us to conquer. He doesn't ask us to defeat dark forces. He doesn't ask us to overcome. He doesn't ask us to destroy. Here he merely says, endure. Just make it. Amidst upheaval, endure, and do not fall asleep. Wake up. Life's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. We're not promised deliverance from all our troubles. Rather, we are promised that he will be with us in the midst of all our troubles. He may not take our trials away, but he will empower us in the midst of our trials. Isn't that sweet? Where you see, when you are called before synagogues, don't worry about what you're going to say. When you're about to be... Per- The Holy Spirit will speak through you. Don't be afraid. Endure amidst upheaval. That's one way we stay awake. His kingdom advances by and through the suffering of his saints. Endure. Endure amidst upheaval. Another way we stay awake and avoid spiritual lethargy is is this. We need to beware of false teachers. We need to beware of false teachers. Now, that's going to be from verses 13 through 23. Now, in verse 14, Jesus is going to go back to talking about Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. He's going to, make, he's going to say this phrase, the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation. Verse 14, let me just read it real quick, and then I'll explain to you what that is. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand Originally, I'm reading this, I'm thinking, yeah, I'd really like to understand, Mark, what are you saying? Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, 150 years or so before this happened, there was a man who defiled the temple. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. By, he slaughtered a pig in the temple on the altar to defile the temple. The Jews rose up, and that's a whole other story. Jesus is saying when someone like that comes to Jerusalem, 
to defile the temple. Don't stick around and fight. Run. That's what he's going to say. Run when you see someone who comes who acts like Antiochus Epiphanes. Verse 14. Let's read all the way down to verse 23. Notice the flavor of false teachers here. He's speaking specifically of it's Titus of Rome, but this describes the pattern of false teachers that exist ever since that day. Verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house, nor take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back or take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of all creation and that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Now, the, the description we see from verses 14 all the way down to verse 20 in all likelihood, is what happened in Jerusalem. Now, there's going to be honest Christians who disagree with me on that. That's totally fine. Um, but all can agree that Titus, the Roman, as he laid siege, laid siege to Jerusalem, there was a, a temp, there was there was a tribulation in the city that caused people to begin to turn to cannibalism, and it was horrible. Now, one thing that is the same and that everyone can agree with is the last days are going to be marked by false teachers. False teachers. False Christ, verse 22, and false prophets. What will they do? They will arise and perform signs and wonders. Why? To lead people astray. To lead astray. False teachers will perform signs and wonders. They, whoever they are, they will be able to perform miracles. Miracles. Think about that. Miracles. So, can you tell if someone's a false teacher? If, they, if someone performs a miracle right in front of you and then says, essentially, follow me because I can do stuff like that, there's a great many people who will be tempted to do just that. We tell a false teacher, not by the crowd, not by the money, not by the flash, not by the glitz, not by the glamour, not by the fame, not even by the miracles, but by what they teach. Do they teach Jesus and him crucified, dead, buried, raised, and coming back? If they don't, that's a false teacher. Now, the challenge with false teachers in our day, we need to stay awake because we can nod off. And if we nod off, we can start following false teachers who teach us to wander away from Jesus Christ. No false teacher is going to come up and say, hey, do you remember that conversation Jesus had with the disciples in Mark chapter 13 on the Mount of Olives? I'm that guy. I'm one of those false teachers. I'm a false prophet. What I'm going to say is just not true at all, and so you need to be warned. That's, I'm one of those guys. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. So followers of Jesus must be on guard. False teachers, false teachers 
They sound good. They're packaged well. They gain a hearing because they say what people want them to say. 2 Timothy 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and we live in days like that now. And we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There are false teachers who rise up and teach myths. Now, myths change from generation to generation. We're not tempted to asceticism like people in this day were, but we are tempted to things of self-actualization, assuming that we are the most important people in our lives, and we're not. We assume that, that we exist to be happy, that we have the power to get everything we want, that we don't need anyone by ourselves, that we can trust ourselves, that we should not do anything that's uncomfortable or awkward, and that we should always be thought well of by others. Here's the danger. Here's the danger. That is a myth. The focus on self is something that will lead us astray. And there are plenty of teachers who rise up and say, you are the most important. You need to be true to yourself. You must follow your heart. You must not ever do something that you're not comfortable with. That is false. Even though people will flock and follow them on Facebook and follow them on Twitter and like them all the time and put them on television, they are false. And even more frightening... Even more frightening, the false teachers that we need to be afraid of or on guard against are the ones that come up from our midst. Notice, Jesus says they are false Christ, false prophets, right? It's not false Buddhas or false Muhammads. We've got false Christ. People who, who know something about Jesus and can take his words, twist them just so, so that it suits their needs. False teachers know just enough about Jesus to twist his words and sound something close to what's true. And so even, now throw in a miracle, throw in a, throw in, throw in a sign, throw in a wonder, and you've got, you've got massive danger. You see, the great danger that faces the church is not the culture opposed to the church. It's not persecution against the church. It is within the church. The greatest danger is never somewhere out there, but it's always in here. We need to stay awake and not be drawn away by false teaching. We have access to false teaching more than any other generation on the planet, in the history of the planet. And it's easy to be taken away. We can see the signs and wonders and videos and, you know, all this, all this production that's so slick and think they must know what they're talking about. Not true. Not always true. See, we must recognize that we can't fall asleep. We can't, we can't, we, we need to recognize that gossip and slander and division, suspicion and accusation, those things are much more dangerous than persecution, martyrdom, and hatred. Much more. Much, much, much more. We must stay awake and not be drawn away. The false teachers are real and they are coming for us. But the false teachers will not last. Look at verse 24. But in those days, after the, that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then 
he will send out the angels to gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth, to the ends of heaven. There will be a tribulation on earth that Christians will face so significant. Now this tribulation, it's, we're enduring amidst upheaval. We're enduring even in the face of false teachers. And the effect of sin on creation is so significant. The beauty of creation has been effaced by sin and it will begin, creation will, to fall apart. The sun created by God to light up his beautiful world will, go, will grow dim and tire of shining on the chaos of earth. The moon created by God to govern the night will grow faint with the weary task of lighting up all the evil on earth. The stars fixed in the sky by God will teeter and totter and come falling down as mankind runs from God on earth. All of God's good creation will begin to fray at the edges and decay. God created all things good, but when sin entered the world, decay did too. The rot of sin is eating away at creation even now as we speak. The sun... His days are numbered. The stars are creaking. The moon is waning. Expect. Expect national upheavals. Expect natural upheavals. Expect the very stars in the sky to fall. And then Jesus will return with power and with glory to get those that are his from all over the world. Evil seems so smug and so powerful, but one day it will be completely vanquished. We must stay awake and know that that day is coming. That day is coming. That day is coming where the clouds will part and Jesus will come and he will gather up all his people from all time and bring them to himself. Until then, we must beware. We must stay awake. We must endure amidst upheaval, we must beware of false teachers, and lastly, we must watch for signs. We must watch for signs. Verse 13, 28 through 37. We watch for signs so that we know God is still working. Verse 28, from the fig tree, Jesus says, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, When you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, there is a lot of consternation about verse 30. There are people who have said, well, Jesus must have been wrong. That generation clearly did pass away. My understanding here is that he's talking about the temple. And there were people of the disciples' generation who were alive and well in the decades follow, in the decades leading up to Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple because we know Jesus wasn't wrong. Now, we can be wrapped up in that sentence and miss what is so very clear. What he's saying is, watch the signs. Watch the signs. Everyone in the ancient Near East knew that when the fig tree, when the fig tree began to sprout its green leaves... Summer was almost here. We know those signs too. The sign I, you know what the sign I know that fall is almost here for us? The sign I know is when people pull out their lawnmowers and cut their grass down to nothing so that they can plant winter grass. I know that the fall is almost here. And I think, 
Praise God, the fall is almost here. What Jesus is telling us here is this. When you see wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines, persecution, false teachers, when you see people turning against one another, you need to know, you need to know the end is coming. The end is almost here. Here it comes. You need to know not that everything's falling apart and God's not in control. No, he's telling us what's going to happen. You need to know that he is in control and he is working his purposes out for his good pleasure. And he will have his will done. He even says something in verse 31. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. More stable than the rhythm of sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset is the word of God. Long after, long after there is no more night and no more sunset, the word of God will stand forever. But con- look at verse 32. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, Jesus says, I don't know when I'm coming back. Okay, so it's a good bet that if Jesus doesn't know, no one else does either. So if a, fall- if a teacher rises up and says, he's coming back in 2019, ignore him forever or her. Forever. Forever ignore them. They are false teachers. Jesus, it's a good bet that if Jesus doesn't know, the angels don't know, the son doesn't know. It's a good bet that others don't know either. So ignore those people who say that the end is coming. Ignore them. Stay awake. And he ends with a call to stay awake. Look at verse 33. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the, when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what shall I say to you? Stay awake. Stay awake and keep following Jesus. Live like it matters how you live and that Jesus is watching you because he is. It's so easy to nod off and just go, man, it's hard amidst this upheaval. These false teachers, I don't really want to sit here and discern all those things. It's difficult watching the sun. I don't don't know. I just want to fall asleep. There's other people who say, well, it's been 2,000 years. Where is he? Peter says, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since... The fathers fell asleep. All things are continuing as they were from the beginning. Where is he? He's coming soon enough. And when he comes, people will say, I wish I had more time. You might think, 2,000 years is a long time. But think about eternity. A billion trillion years from now. How long is two or 3,000 years? He will be here. He will come. We must stay awake. How do we stay awake? How do we stay awake? We stay about our master's business. We stay about our master's business. We stay about our master's business. We work for Jesus. In 1959, when the young British queen, Queen Elizabeth, was coming to Chicago, Chicago pulled out all the stops. They painted all their trash cans. 
They put red carpet in every possible place that the queen would walk. And when newspapers called the Drake Hotel and asked, what preparations are you making for the queen? The hotel said, we're doing nothing different. We're always ready for royalty. Same thing should be true for us. We're not called to sell our homes, move out in the desert, eat locusts, remove ourselves from people, give everything away. We're called to stay awake and go about the business that the Lord has called us to. What's the business the Lord has called you? What's your job? That's part of your business. Are you at home? That's part of your business. What's your business? You going to school? There you go. You're supposed to be doing that. Wherever the Lord has us, our call is to be faithful and to stay awake, knowing that there will be upheaval, knowing that there will be false teachers, knowing that we've got signs to see, and when we see those signs, we'll go, ha, the Lord is about His work, and many people might not understand it, but I do. He is coming, and He will one day set everything right. We must be about our regular responsibilities. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, what? And you might think, sell your home, be radical, go out and do all kinds of crazy things, stand on the street corner and and yell and scream. But here's what he says. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. In other words, be ready for royalty. Be ready for Christ to come. What are we to be about? We're to be about loving one another. We're we're to be about being self-controlled and sober-minded. We're to be about covering sins of other people against us. We're to show hospitality. What are we to be about in the last days? Have people over to eat, talk talk about Jesus, talk to them, and get to know them. That's what we're to be about. So how do we stay awake? How do we not nod off? How do we not give in? slumber. Here's some thoughts. How do we keep following Jesus? Well, we obey in secret when nobody sees, because he sees. We be honest in our dealings, whatever they are. We love our kids. We have fun with friends. How do we stay awake? We respond appropriately to conviction. We listen. If 10 people in our lives are saying the same thing, it's probably true. How do we stay awake? We come to church on Sundays. We sing. We read our Bible. We tell our neighbors about Jesus. We pray. How do we stay awake? We memorize Scripture and put it in our hearts so that when our minds are tempted to run down the wrong paths, we can say, no, no, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to remind you, soul, that there's something much more important than these feelings that you have raging in your mind right now. I'm going to stay awake, and I'm not going to be drowsed by these feelings. I'm going to put my phone down and look at the sunset. I'm going to stay awake and just call my adult adult kids and say, I love you. I'm going to stay awake by becoming more like Jesus. I'm going to stay awake by being grateful for good days and not assuming I deserve it. I'm going to stay awake by by being grateful that all days aren't bad days. I'm going to stay awake by not being afraid because the Lord is with me. I'm going to stay awake by hoping in God and not my spouse. I'm going to stay awake by working my job as to the Lord and not to other people. I'm going to stay awake by tending to my family as the Lord tends to me. I'm going to stay awake by overlooking the flaws and the sins and the faults of other people. And I'm going to stay awake by trusting in the Lord's timing even when I don't understand. I'm going to stay awake 
by taking time for other people. I'm going to stay awake as I grieve at losses, but do not lose hope. I'm going to stay awake as I don't believe, as I recognize I'm not home. I'm not home. Stay awake. May Mark 13 be a wake-up call or a, a splash of water in our face. If you're here and you're a Christian and you recognize, I'm asleep. I don't care about the things of Jesus like I should. Wake up. You can. Maybe your heart's gone cold. That's another way of saying you're asleep. Jesus is saying, wake up. Wake up. Stay awake. Maybe you've postponed obedience on something. Jesus is saying, stay awake. Maybe he's called you to do something hard and you're, you're not. He's saying, stay awake. Maybe it's time for you to follow Jesus and turn to him and wake up. Whatever the case may be, may we stay awake, may we wake up, and may we follow Jesus. Lord God Almighty, I ask that you would help us all. Lord, I know that my heart tends to wander and I I get drowsy. I know I'm not the only one. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to stay awake. May we stay awake amidst upheavals. May we be on our guard against false teachers. May we watch for the signs. May we be a people who are awake, recognizing that the work we do, the lives we live are not to be somehow different because we live in the last days, but normal and ordinary. May we be ordinary people who honor you in the ordinary moments of our lives, recognizing that the end is at hand. Lord, I pray that you would wake us up. Lord, if there are any here who are slumbering spiritually, I pray you'd wake them up. If there are any here who are not aware spiritually, I pray you'd bring them to life. I pray for those that are awake, Lord, I pray that you would you would you would spur them on to greater wakefulness. Lord, we want to be awake. We want to experience your presence. We want to know more of you. We don't want to become comfortable. We don't want to sort of slouch into heaven. We want to march that way. We want to walk that way. We want to be about your work in your time for your people and your glory. We want to stay awake. Help us to stay awake, Lord. Keep us awake. In your name we pray. Amen.